You are tuned in to a fireside chat with Zany Mystic. Join us now on another exciting metaphysical journey. Relax, tune in, drop out, and take a seat by the fire as we explore new realms and possibilities. This is Magenta Pixie. You can find me at magentapixie.weebly.com. But now, here is Zany Mystic and guest. Enjoy the show. Greetings, and welcome back to a fireside chat with a Zany Mystic. I'm your host, Lance White. Tonight, my guest is Johnny Delirious. Yes, you heard it right. Johnny Delirious. Johnny is a laboratory naturopathic doctor. He worked with one of the first pioneers to use the scientific modality, hair tissue mineral analysis, otherwise known as HTMA, to get the right diet and supplements to experience life free of disease. The guessing game to achieve good health is over. Today, he gives his expert advice with 35-plus years of experience as a professional in the health industry. There is only one laboratory naturopathic doctor, Johnny Delirious, master survivor. His work is truly beyond Ph.D. He also hosts a show here on BBS Radio, The Delirious Cure, and he has several books that you can check out on the link to the show tonight. Um, one of the most interesting things to me was that um, in his third uh, biography, Master Survivor Beyond Ph.D., uh, it reveals the hidden secrets of how Johnny found his unique recovery methodology from the resource archives of the extraterrestrial group Mind. So I'm anxious to hear all about this. So let's welcome him to the show now. Hi, Johnny. How are you? I'm fine. I'm fine, Lance. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's my pleasure. Uh, you know, hepatitis, the hepatitis series is uh, really um, a bugaboo. And uh, mm-hmm. it's one of those things that people don't talk about too much, kind of like HIV and AIDS and some other things. But um, I'm really interested in hearing what these... Because you had all three of them, didn't you? Hepatitis A, B, and C? That's absolutely right. In high school, um, me and my little crowd, we (laughs) all came down with first with A and then with B. Um, And, you know, we were kind of uh, (laughs) popular in a strange sort of a way (laughs) because sometimes we had yellow eyes and yellow skin, so people would ignore us you know uh-huh. and talk about us and so that's kind of how my high school went in uh junior and senior year and uh my father was a medical doctor so during those uh three or four weeks i'd quarantine myself at home and got over a and b during high school uh-huh. so uh, you mean you did that while you were a high school student yeah yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there's about four of us uh, guys and three of the gals. And, uh, you know, first we came down with hepatitis A, and we, we think it was from eating tainted oysters because there were newspaper articles about tainted oysters at the time, you know, having hepatitis. Mm-hmm. And, of course, we would go, you know, being underage, we'd go to the oyster bars and drink beer and eat oysters you know oh, of and course. So that's what we did and and uh of course then later you know in high schools we got a little older 
uh, you know, a couple of the girls were hanging around with guys in the band, and, you know, and they picked up hepatitis B. We picked up hepatitis B because we were all together, you know. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, um, so, you know, we uh, each time we got over it, I got over it faster because, like I said, I quarantined at home for three, two or two weeks, and then I was better, and I'd go back to school. So that's that's how high school was, and um, we all had uh, good careers, but we, you know, we played hard and we worked hard. You know, that's kind of the way it was. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, how did you know how to find out about uh, what you should do? I mean, I, kn- I know you probably had doctors that you could go to in your community, but uh, you must have done a lot of your own research and, and thinking about it and coming to, you know, some actually logical conclusions. How did that process uh, come about for you? Well, you know, this is the beaches of Florida, and um, my father was a medical doctor. So during high school, when I was quarantined for uh, A and then uh, with B, um, I spent a lot of time a lot of time in bed, and my mother would bring me uh, fruit and everything. So after about a week or so, you know, I'd recover. But, but during that time, my dad would always just say, well, stay away from the alcohol, you know, that's bad for your liver. And so, and then, um, and, that, and of course, I graduated in 71, and then my mother died of liver cancer in 1973. Mm. So... Then the liver seemed to be on our minds quite a bit because mm-hmm. I talked to my dad about it. And and my dad was class of 45 in Tulane Medical School. And so during the war effort, he taught the um, medical uh, medics, Army and Navy and, and Marine medics. Uh, they were going into the Philippines and stuff like that about, you know, how to take care of dysentery and and of course, malaria—that's a mm. parasitic infestation of the liver. Mm. So my dad knew a lot about uh, liver health, and uh, so when my mother died, and then I got a non-A, non-B diagnosis in 1981. It seemed like I never could stop talking to my dad about the, the liver because he'd fuss at me all the time, and then mm. you know I felt foolish and was just. Um, okay, Dad. Yes, Dad. And, you know, I humbled myself a couple of different times because I knew, you know, I was sick. But I didn't know that that non-A, non-B, that's what they called it in 81. I didn't know that was hepatitis C to much later. Ah. Right, because they probably didn't have a name for it yet. No, no. They didn't have hepatitis C in, in the 80s. And, of course... Around 84, I started uh, running the laboratory, and uh, all during that time, all through the 80s and early 90s, I had hepatitis C, but I didn't know it, and I couldn't figure out why I was out of energy all the time, and and of course, um, that's a whole nother, but you know, that's the whole story about how um, I did in the lab, because uh, I didn't realize I had hepatitis C, and it was getting worse to worse and worse because it that's what it does it progresses uh-huh. so the part of the remedy for that seems to be 
or the the healing part seems to be a lot of rest, and then of course uh, probably a lot of fluids, and then um, maybe a light diet. Uh, did anybody know anything about diet in those days? Well, yeah, you've got to be um, the liver. You know, it, you know, protein is heavy on the liver, so the mm-hmm. liver's got to have uh, a way to. Um, you know, rejuvenate itself, and uh, if you're eating a lot of heavy foods, you know, where there's protein or a lot of spicy and greasy foods, that's, of course, not good for the liver, but watermelon is always the good uh, remedy. Mm. Uh, If someone wants to know the one thing you can do, well, eat lots of watermelon. That, Mm. you know, that's a great thing to do for the liver. Wow. I'm going to try that one. (laughs) I like watermelon quite a bit. Mm-hmm. You know, um, lots of water. It's got minerals. It's easy to digest, and it's got you know a, a valuable sugar, um, mm-hmm. and so uh, that's all the way around. It's got roughage, and so all the way around, it's really one of the best things for the liver. Mm. Now, um, you also um, uh, are an addiction counselor, I believe. And um, I was wondering how you uh, entered into that field. Um, I think most of us, or a lot of us, have had periods of addiction during our lifetime. And um, sometimes you don't recognize it until it's too late. But um, yeah, that's right. My parents were both alcoholics, and they didn't. Uh, well, they didn't do very very well with it. Um, and so I saw what they were doing, and decided that I wasn't going to do that, and of course I went ahead and did it anyway. Mm-hmm. But, um, <clears throat> so, uh, did, were, did you uh, have any addictions at that time, or uh, did you oh, yeah. learned about? Well, when, uh, like I said, I had that non-A, non-B hepatitis in 81, uh-huh. and then I started running the laboratory in 84, and like I said, we all had good careers. So, uh, you know, we played hard, we partied hard. So the beaches of Florida, you oh, know, yeah. it was alcohol and cocaine and and um, and uh, marijuana, you know, reefer mm-hmm. and uh, reefer madness, madness everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> but um, but of course, you know, at the lab for at least the first couple of years, I was pretty much straight because I really enjoyed the laboratory. I took it seriously, and it was just, it was like my dream come true. Here I was dreaming as a kid, being a scientist, working, uh, you know, uh, and, and wanting to be a scientist. Here I am running a laboratory, mm. but I didn't realize this non-A, non-B hepatitis was C, and it was getting worse and worse and worse, and I was constantly not ever having enough energy, and I wanted to keep keep working, so I drank too much coffee, and that burnt my stomach up because, you know, I'd started taking Tagamet. Well, sooner or later, I went back to the old, you know, a few lines here and a few snorts there, dance all night, love all night, cocaine, uh-huh. and, you know, uh, in the laboratory, I could, you know, I wore my suit every day, but I kept my little bottle of Coke in my pocket, and I'd go in the bathroom if I had a board meeting or something like that, because by the time in the mid-80s, I was chairman, and and uh, wow. so I had to stay sharp uh, to uh, do the lab business. Right. So, 
so I said, I said, I'll be right back, you know. <laughs> so, you know, I'd go in and, as we used to say, take a couple of little bumps. Uh, and then, yeah, uh, I remember that. <laughs> and then go back out. And then, of course, all right, I'm ready to go. Sorry about that. I got my water, you know. And, <laughs> you know, and so, uh, but then, you know, the thing about cocaine, it is a stimulant. Uh, but it is also uh, very addictive. Oh, yeah. And um, so as time went on, uh, I wasn't fooling anybody. My employees, you know, I, I, I heard, overheard them a call. Here comes my boss, the abominable snowman. <laughs> so, you know, I knew that I wasn't making uh, very, you know, Dear Abby wouldn't have uh, been very color she'd been very colorful about my behavior because um, when you start doing it every day and after a year or so uh, that's you know that you you know you don't realize it but you're becoming unmanageable yeah yeah exactly and you don't see the deterioration or the changes because they're to you they're just subtle it's like being in a forest and walking around in, in the forest and not seeing outside of it Oh, I'm okay. What, what's wrong with you? Yes, <laughs> you right, know? right. They're like, exactly. ah, Why are you please. in such a bad mood today? <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, so, yeah, and, and that was um, a really uh, interesting thing. And I still, you know, it's funny. Uh, on the phone, if a doctor called, you know, I had to deal with them and had to help their patients and everything. And I was always very courteous with them i was always very courteous with the landlord mm -hmm. you know I was, I was tactful that way but then um through the course of the day uh i'm sure i had my moments and the employees saw it all and that's kind of where they got that and so uh. you know, after a while it just wasn't uh, a pretty sight and i had to close the lab in uh 1991 and um, and of course that that's uh, was after the abduction and all that because everything changed after that. Once I had that abduction, everything changed. And um, oh, you had an the, abduction. Yeah, yeah. Oh. The, that's the the alien abduction. I did not know. <laughs> Well, that's where the group mind of the Greys comes from, the Resorcery Archive. Oh, i got to hear a lot about that because uh, I have several guests that have been on recently, Judy Carroll and and um, a few others, who have written books about their lifelong experiences with the Greys. And um, so I'm completely fascinated by them because uh, I have kind of an affinity for them in a, in a weird way. Well, I you know... See, Lance, the interesting thing is that the world's rejected me. I mean, the 12-step people didn't like me uh, when I gave speeches because I said, well, hey, I, you know, I, I, I still like cocaine. I just don't do it anymore. Right, right. You're just being honest. They're, they're going, shut up, shut up. No, no, don't say that, you know. <laughs> right. I go to MUFON meetings, and I said, well, the grays and the American military guys were working together. Of course, the MUFON people didn't like that. And, and I mean, you know, and I give talks about hepatitis and say it's cured. You can cure it. It's real easy. Uh -huh. And, of course, nobody liked to hear that either. <laughs> so, 
the world rejected me. And uh, yeah, the Greys were, um, you know, they they have a group mind. Oh yeah. Now, what happened? When were you abducted, and what were the circumstances? I mean, tell us all about it. Okay. Well, uh, as you know, toward those, uh, it was in 1989. It was in December. It was in the first week of December. Right. Right about this time. It's funny. Right about this time uh-huh. of, of of December, first or second week, is about the end of the first week. It was right after Pearl Harbor, you know. So, mm. you know, so it was like the tenth or twelfth. I can't remember the exact date, but uh-huh. um, oh, I was partying and I went out in um, one of the dancing bars, you know, and uh-huh. and I finally got back home around three thirty. And I'd gotten some more coke, and um, I just, you know, by the time I got home and I pulled my car in the garage, and as soon as I walked in and opened the kitchen door, I hit the garage door, uh, you know, button to close the garage door. At that right at that point, I was consumed by this white light. Hmm. And I th- I thought I was having a religious experience or some sort of spiritual experience because, uh, for one thing, I was really high and I just I just scored, you know, and I had a bunch of coke. I, I think it was, you know, what they call an eight ball, oh, yeah. which is an eighth of an ounce, and so I, I had a good amount and uh, just made it home. But I was consumed by this white light, and all of a sudden, um, I just felt uh, calm. calm. That's why I thought it was a religious experience, mm. and I felt really calm, but, but I was really high. See, this this is the thing, um, and the next thing I knew, I was on the ship. It was it was a remote ship, and we we're flying toward the moon. Wow! And I could I could see the moon. It, it was so bizarre because I was. If if you it, okay, it was round because I was in the outside looking in. In other words, if you think about a donut or the hole of the donut, that's where the Greys and the two American military guys were, and then the outer, uh, you know, perimeter was an open space, and I was floating. But they seemed to be, you know solid on the ground inside their little chamber there hmm. what I you know what I call the the uh, pi- the bridge or, or the pilot's module or whatever you want to call it but they were standing and I was floating wow. now they had some guys on gurneys too uh, and so I saw the American military guys talking to the Greys and talking to each other. There are two of them, and they had American accent. You know, there were one Southern and one Northern. It sounded like Indiana or, or Nebraska. You know, like roots, like the roots of a tree. Uh-huh. You know, and I could hear them talking, and they were wearing military fatigues, and they're big and they're mean, and <laughs> and um, you know, but they seem to be very, uh, you know, cooperative with each other but telling the greys what to do and the greys would just go and do the task but the greys of course didn't say anything and they were just pointing their fingers and this and that so they so one guy said well 
you know, who's the floater? You know, oh, that's a 309. And he goes, what? We don't get many of those. No, he, you know, he's, you know, he's, uh, or something. And so, right when I, right when I was, uh, heard that, a 309, and I was looking at him, he gave me this really mean look. And uh, obviously, they didn't like me. Um, And the other guys were strapped down in gurneys that were human. And there were about, oh, three or four of them. And they were strapped down in gurneys, and the gurneys were, you know, stabilized uh, as part of the corridor there. Mm. And it was round. So I was floating around inside this corridor, and, uh, and they just... Um, I, I don't want to say exactly their language because it was very, uh, <laughs> very, it was, you know, because I didn't know really what to do at this point. You know, I was, for one thing, I was really high. People say, well, how do you know you had this experience? Well, I had an implant and it was, I still got, I still got the bump in my finger. Mm-hmm. Um, but once I got to the mothership, I was part of, they, they just let me wander around. See, that's another thing that the MUFON people just say, oh, you're crazy, no, just just get out of here, you know. And they just can't accept it. They, they you know, because they, and, and I figured out when it, once I got in the group mine, why they got me, why they let me wander around. Now, they did, you know, put the implant in because I blacked out a couple of times. They must have had a way to black me out. Mm-hmm. But one time when I came to, I had a Band-Aid on my finger. And my finger, it was my left finger, my index finger, right next to the knuckle. And that was where the little bump is. And it made a little hum. Okay, a little hum. Mm-hmm. And I found out that that was a transmitter. So it was tied to my neuron so it could read my brain you know and then of course it was tied to their sensors so they could see all my activity so once uh, you know once I finished getting that whatever that operation and I came to once they put that implant in there I was sitting with a little gray and I wrote all about this this is all in my book uh, Master Survivor Beyond PhD by the way oh, okay, it's, good. it's all, all in there and um so that the, the little gray seemed to be like a younger, like I, ca- I called him the kid, you know. He seemed to be like a younger type and just, uh, you know, kind of a novice, if you will, uh, because, you know, he just seemed smaller and younger than the other ones. Mm. But he had a task. And at the time, this is 1989, he had what, what you would look at today as a, a a, a, a desk, uh, you know, what do you call those little, um, I don't even have them, but they're the little uh, computer, on. you know, you just carry them in your hand, a little bit bigger than a phone, just a little pad computer. And he, he had one of those uh, pad, iPads or whatever, and I was like, wow, and all he do is touch the screen, then something would appear in the air, and it'd be like a big hologram, and he'd touch the screen again, that would change, and he'd do all different things. And pretty soon, I started, you know, because he was telepathically communicating with me, you know? Uh-huh. And I said, well, uh, you know, 
what do you do? And he says, I'm, you know, I'm part of the, of, it's like I'm part of the, uh, of the group, or I'm, I mean, I'm just part of the, um, how do you put it? Let me see. Oh, gosh, I forget. Anyway, it's, agenda is not the exact word that I remembered at the time, but he just says, no, I'm part of the, of the, of the like the task force, you know, oh, that's okay. another way of putting it. He said, I'm just, I'm, you know, I'm just doing my, he didn't say I'm doing my job. He just says I'm part of the ta- task duties or something like that. Anyway, huh. I, in my book, I wrote the exact language that I remembered it, but that's what it, essentially what he's saying Mm. so at that point i was tapping into his mind and he was tapping into my mind (laughs) and um and and see i figured out why i was there because that was my first question you know what or why am i there what are you doing with me (laughs) and blah 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 and um it turns out that the 309 it, you know, the military is very, has a lot of acronyms, you know, like oh, yeah. CO is commanding officer, you know, um, you know, uh, Marine Corps MC, you know. Right, so, um, right. so my 309 is um, the three was the, the maximum number of drugs being used. The middle number was the number of arrests, which was zero because I had no arrests. And then the nine was the number of years either on the drug or on the drugs or whatever. But for me, um, you know, the cocaine was really – I wasn't a big drinker. My dad told me to stay away from alcohol, and I wasn't a big smoker, because, you know, uh, marijuana later, especially running the lab because I couldn't think straight if I mixed anything. It was just Coke. That was it. It was just Coke. Yeah. But, you know, 309, that's what it stood for, a maximum of three drugs. Uh, the number of rests is zero, and then the nine was the number of years uh, that, you know, a minimum number of years of uh, using uh, the drug or the drugs. So 309. The other guys were a three, 319 or, uh, you know, whatever, and they've been arrested. So obviously, uh, <laughs> they must have been abducted from a prison or something right. because they were out and on the gurneys and they did things to them. But I found out in the group mind what they're doing with me because they. I asked, and I asked the little gray, I said, why did, why am I here? What am I doing? And they said, you're part of a study. Huh. And I, I said, oh, I see. What kind of study? And so all I could take, all I could interpret the way he put it, because a lot of times the information would come in so fast uh. that you can only get bits and pieces. And so, um, so, what I gathered was that they wanted to study me. That's why the implant was in my finger and it transmitted uh, to the mainframe because, see, the, the grays are tied into mainframe as well as bi- biological group mind, okay? So hmm. it's all pooled together, you know, and it's in real time. You know, mm-hmm. it's constantly being updated. So... Um, so I found that uh, they wanted to study me because here I am, a professional running a lab, and I'm doing cocaine every day, and I haven't been arrested. And, you know, we got to figure out, 
you know, what makes this guy tick. Right, right. Because they were, because many different reasons they want, you know, the American, um, you know, deep military wants to figure out how to run the craft, and it takes your mind to do that. And so there are certain things that the uh, development of our minds just couldn't, run things like the greys could run because their minds were tied right directly into the mainframe of computers everywhere Mm. and um, yeah and so that was um, a big revelation and see it took all this time up there and and here's the other part that 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 the MUFON people just they just quit talking to me although the president for many 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 years uh, Colonel Ware he loves me he likes me he gives me a standing ovation any speech I've ever gotten but everybody looks at him but but Colonel Ware he he's very much in the know and um, uh, Air Force uh, Colonel Oh, nice. And he was president of, of MUFON for many, many, many years, for about 10 or 12, 15 years. And uh, so he always listened to me, always wanted to hear more, and he's the only one I could talk to for many years about my experience. And it has only happened one time, this abduction. Huh. So it turned out that, um, you know, I was uh, – and, and, and I said – you know, even when I was in the little little ship coming over to the mothership, orbit in the moon, I, I said, so you don't mind me doing cocaine? And, <laughs> and that guy was so mean, he hated me. He said, my orders are to leave you, you know, blah, 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 alone. You know, oh. and like that. And, you know, so, you know, that's why I was the floater. That's why they let me wander around the ship. That's wow. why, I, and I, you know, I I would just do coke every time I'd get fatigued, just like I did in the, in the lab, and I think that they were studying me. How, you know, each time, you know, I would do that. What the neurons or whatever they are, and I right. think that was their what they did. But during that whole process, I tapped into the group mind of the greys and oh. it's, a, it's a huge resource what i call the resourcery archive mm. it's it's huge and um and of course if you're telepathic in any, any shape or form you can tap into it too but i don't do it as much as i used to uh-huh. But it's like anything else. If you had a memory, like you've been in love, and you think back on those times, and all of a sudden you get that little warm, fuzzy feeling, and you mm-hmm. sort of tap back into that, that's the same way this was. And when I was trying to learn how to recover from hepatitis C in 1992, I did tap back into the group mind uh, to remember because. Because the only thing I could remember and recall were all the things that I was interested in. You know, I, I love plants and I love chemistry and I love, you know, uh, nature. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I didn't care about the stock. Everybody says, well, you should make millions in the stock. But see, I didn't well, care about the stock market. Right, right. So that wasn't a concern of mine at all. And, um, but health and chemistry and biochemistry and things like that and with the lab and all that, I uh, tapped into. 
And then when I finally uh, put it all together uh, in 1992, when I closed the lab, and you know they diagnosed me as having 12 million viral load and over 96% scar tissue wow. in 19. 19- that cirrhosis was so bad they said I was going to die you're going to die period you know and and I refused the liver transplant they called me delirious <laughs> I see <laughs> that's where so, it comes from <laughs> I, I'm sorry I'm doing all the talking I, I should let you say something well no I, I mean this is so interesting that I'm, I'm just fascinated because uh, it's not every day that you get to talk to somebody who's had a first hand experience of being on the ship and tapping into the collective mind of the Greys. So well, I, 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 it's I can't make it up because there are things that I saw there, mm-hmm. and, and I saw regular, you know, one around the ship. I saw regular guys, you know, they had their little tool belt, a tool belt that I'd never seen before at that, huh. those times, but you know, they looked straight ahead, and and I'll never forget. Uh, on a couple of the walls in the mothership, it said uh, to uh, to be compliant, to be in harmony is to be compliant. To be uh, insubordinate is de- equals death. Oh, <laughs> okay. Just like that. And I'm like, whoa. So these guys were very um, uh, just to themselves. They wouldn't talk to me. They would walk right by. Um you know, so obviously they were just following orders, but they were like, you know, private contractors. They weren't military guys, you know. Right, right. They're, but they had uh, the most interesting tool belt. I've never seen a tool belt like that because they, they had gadgets I've just never seen before. Huh. And, uh, but, but yeah, they were American, and and uh, one guy, one guy that I passed, he said, "You better be careful." That's all he said. He just kept walking by. He wouldn't even look at me. He said, "You better be careful." Oh, because you know, they—they, they, you know, obviously, uh, I was a rare. You know, he said, like that guy said, you know, three oh nine. That the floaters are three oh nine. You know, we don't get many of those. He said, "Yeah, we don't." And uh, so obviously. Um, that, that's why they let me wander free. That's why they put the implant in. That's why they let me do the coke. And and um, so basically, uh, I didn't realize how long I was gone. But by the time, and I didn't end back up in my garage or at my house. I was like 45 or 50 miles south of Dallas, mm. about, about 80 miles away from my house when because the next thing I knew, I was walking along this road, and I had see because I had my my briefcase which had a strap on it, so I just strap it over my shoulder, you know, and that's where I had my coke and blah blah blah, and and uh, so at one point I was on the ship, and then at the next point I was in Claiborne, Texas, walking along the road. <laughs> I, I, I don't know how that happened, but eventually I got back to my house. And there were newspapers in the lawn, and um, I'd been gone a week, and everybody in the lab was upset. This was 1989, because they, you know, they they wanted their paycheck, and it had been over a week or so since wow. they got their paycheck. 
So when I went back to the lab, they were all yelling and screaming at me. Um, and uh, I wasn't coming into work today and blah, blah, blah. And we haven't seen you and everybody's asking and blah, blah, blah like this. And the weirdest thing, usually after a day or so, I get a stubble growth on my beard. But I really didn't have that much. I thought I was only gone a day or so. I didn't have the stubble growth on my beard. So obviously huh. there's some sort of time, uh, I don't know, that old joke, you know, about, you know, a uh, beautiful lady of light, you know, who became so bright. She left one day in a relative way and came back the previous night, you know. I mean, <laughs> right, it, it right. Was, it was like one of those time things because I didn't have much beard stubble. Usually, uh, you know, and I had a little electric razor, electric shaver in my little briefcase. So, um, so after you know a few hours, you know, the stubble, and after a day or so, the stubble came back. But, but, the, but the newspapers, my mailbox was full. That's oh. what really got me. I mean, that that really. That that part shook me up a lot. I just couldn't, I couldn't piece that together or process that in my mind. I could almost process the whole experience with going to mothership and all that, you know, if if it were all as pleasant when I got back. But everything when I got back was just was just hell week. I mean, it was horrible, and so I, you know, everybody was mad at me, and. You know, so I'm like, where were you? And I'm like, ah, 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 you know, I couldn't say a thing. So I was really, really, really lost toward the end there. And plus the hepatitis was really bad too. So eventually in 1992, I, I closed the lab. Well, I closed the lab in end of 91 and then uh, got treatment and diagnosed in 1992 and they said I had hepatitis C and they said I had uh, a 12 million viral load for uh, viral hepatitis and they did a liver biopsy and I had 96% scar tissue and wow. so really they said high. there's no way you've got to have a liver transplant there's no way you're going to make it you know with only 4% liver function and um, I started going to AA you know uh, and uh, quit the coke and everything because I go God I'm gonna and as soon as I quit the coke I couldn't do anything I couldn't even manage a couch oh right you know? right right I didn't have I didn't have my get up and go you know All right it uh, got up and went <laughs> yeah 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 Steve Steve uh, Tyler said my get up and go got up and went and I just couldn't do anything. And uh, but I refused the liver transplant, and and then my whole life took on a whole new, uh, um, just a whole new uh, enterprise because I just said, well, I've just got to get a handle of this. But I didn't want the liver transplant. I didn't want the drug treatment. I just didn't want to go that route. And I just said, if I heal my liver, I can. I'll I'll be fine. And so that was. That was the first thing on my mind. So, yeah, I did tap back into the group mind, and uh, I did come up and formulate uh, my recovery because I tried it for a year or so. You know, that was 1992. So past 93, I was down to 5.4 million viral load because I oh. always check my viral load once a month. And 
Uh, so for about three, four, five, six months, my viral load would not change. I'm like, oh my God, it's not moving, it's not changing, you know, because I went from 12 million down to 5.4. So, uh, but then it stopped. It just it halted, and uh, I'm like, and so then I got desperate, and uh, did a lot of soul searching, a lot of crying, a lot of praying. But then I tapped into the group mind again because I was. I was tapping into those memories that I had about the chemistry that uh, when I was talking or telepathically communicate with the little gray and then I tapped into the group mind, uh, the res- what I call the resourcery archive and uh, then that brought me into how everything really works, you know, what the ancient Greeks did. You know, and Hippocrates and everything, because I really like that, and I tapped into all that. Um, and so then I figured out that, you know, it was the gut, and, you know, it's all part of the digestive tract, and, you know, you know, the colon and the liver and the pancreas, and all, all that's just part of the digestion process. And all that has to be in harmony, just like Hippocrates said, and, mm. and you know... Um, so I put it together in a whole new methodology, and eventually today I call it the Master Survivor Program, is what okay. I call it today. And so I've got, you know, the therapy track, I've got the maintenance track, and, you know, there's, depending on where you are, and so now I just help people, no matter what their illness is, I just help them recover because it's all the same. You know, it's restoring the liver. Because the liver is what helps that, you know, the, the word live comes from liver, which was in the Renaissance days where the root live came from was from the liver. Because if it wasn't for the liver, then the mind and the brain, I mean, the brain and the heart wouldn't have their food because the liver keeps the blood chemistry balanced. See, the balance is what really hit me. Because in the lab, that's what we said. you got to have balance of minerals in your cells. So that balance was so key for the liver to keep that blood chemistry balanced. So then your brain and your heart would get, you know, the adequate nourishment that they need. Mm. And the liver is the most important organ. And uh, they knew that back in the Renaissance. The Greeks knew that back in the day. And the Renaissance was just a reawakening of what the ancient Greeks did. Uh And part of that was the medical and, you know, the cooking and the spicing, you know, the healing remedies all, uh, you know, led back to the ancient Greeks. Just, you know. And so... That's where, uh, if you look on the book cover, uh, Beyond PhD, I talk about the golden mean or the golden ratio that Mm. the Greeks used in the temples, and I use the same thing in my healing method. And that's what I really tapped into the group mind to get the chemistry with the food and our cells and our gut all balanced together, and you know, the liver. And, of course, you can get over any disease. And... Most of my referrals today, people are people they send home to die. They don't want them dying from chemo because they give them too much chemo. Once they give them their rounds, you know, that's it. You know, go home, get your life in order. You know, they don't want too much paperwork, you know, if they die in the hospital. (laughs) And 
and the insurance will only cover up to so much. And then once that runs out, then they just say, well, get your life in order. And that's been for the last, oh, I don't know, five or ten years, many of my referrals just through a friend or somebody's dad or somebody's uncle or something like that, you need to talk to Johnny. You know, you got to talk to Johnny. <laughs> so I help them, and um, I said, well, they told me I was going to die. If, if, if you, do you want to live? And they, oh, yeah. Well, if you be, decide to become a master survivor, well, you can live too, and I'll, I'll help you and coach you to do that. Wow. And so that's, that's how our relationship starts with those people. Um. Of course, now there are so many more uh, chemicals and uh, uh, negative uh, substances that are being uh, put into our bodies. I've just been one example is how they borrowed the uh, the uh, uh, the play uh, playbill, I guess you could say, from Hitler's Germany and put fluoride in the water to dumb down oh, the people. Yeah, yeah. And then that get it get goes into the pineal gland, calcifies, and when uh, somebody gets an X-ray of, of their head, there's a black spot there, and it's supposed to be a a juicy uh, gland. It's not very big, but it's I think it's the master gland of the other one. So once that's calcified, um, people are pretty much dumbed down. I mean, they 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 can't really function properly, and. I learned a few years ago that the way to decalcify the pineal gland was to drink distilled water. Well, that's definitely one way to do it. The, the pituitary gland is the governing gland. The pineal gland is your intuition. Right. It, 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 it opens up to the higher consciousness, okay? Mm-hmm. And that is, I mean, you could say it was by design, but... Uh, yeah, you can decalcify the pineal gland, and I have an easy way to do that. Uh, I'm, I'm not a big fan of distilled water because I like spring water, but the minerals are everything, and the food is everything, and the balance right. of food with the mineral, you know, getting the minerals right in the cells. But there's an easy way to decalcify the pineal gland and to get all your endocrine system back into balance. And, and of course, then you seem to wake up. It's like right. someone turned on the switch. Right. Yeah, people undergo all kinds of uh, drastic changes in diet and, uh, you know, just all kinds of life changes. Which is kind of what happens when you wake up, only it's, uh, we never seem to wake up totally. It's like uh, little bits and pieces, uh, maybe a Cheerio here and a Cheerio there. <laughs> and uh, I've had a few strong ones, but they don't last forever. Right. Well, it's, it's see, it's all relative because it. I tell people over and over again for years and decades and decades, I said age has nothing to do with it. Mm-hmm. It's the balance of minerals in your cells. That means all your cells, whether it's your brain cells, your bone cells, mm-hmm. your colon mm-hmm. cells. Once all your cells are balanced, then, um, you know, you will have, you start living in solutions. You start, yeah. you know... You, you stop being in a problem because before stress was the number one issue mm-hmm. and you're just dealing with stress. But then after you get balance in your microbiome and your cells, which is, 
you know, what I do, the microbiome, I, I work with the Human Microbiome Project today, mm. and I'm finding out that what they did, and, because the Greeks didn't have chemistry, but they did a lot of innovation because they had trial and error, and they took that, you know, they took records of things that worked, and they found what worked. So in the early days, before I knew a lot about the microbiome, I knew as the gut from Bernard Jensen and talk, always talking about how the gut was the key to life and 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 the first thing to heal, the first thing to get sick, and the first thing that makes us sick is the gut. Mm -hmm. First thing to get us well is the gut. So, but today I know it's from the microbiome, and that's a whole another vast subject which I talk about on my shows. Um, but once we balance the microbiome and the minerals in our cells, then we are becoming superhuman organisms. We can, it doesn't matter what the age. I've got I've got clients and patients in their 80s. I got a couple in their 90s, oh. and uh, they just say, "Well, uh, I woke up, so it's a great day, Johnny." <laughs> Good. It's wonderful. Yeah. Um, I'm curious about. I don't. I'm not familiar with the word uh, microbiome. Um, what is that? Well, the microbiome is the the flora, uh, you know, ecosystem of the gut. Oh, okay, words, like the flora and the fauna. Yeah, that kind yes, of thing. All the fungi, algae, bacteria, parasites. It turns out that they do most of our genetic expression. Hmm. Not us. Wow. Our, our well-being is from the microbiome. Wow. It's from their genetic expression. Our genetic expression is very small, minuscule, compared to the quadrillions of different types of organisms that you know reside in our microbiome and reside in our soil. And, and those two uh, are a parallel, congruent universe. The soil, they do the same thing that help the plants as they do in our gut to help us. Except the pla plants are processing carbon dioxide to make oxygen. We're processing oxygen to make carbon dioxide. Oxide, yeah. That's the difference. Right. Now, what is it that causes the uh, that particular system in the gut to uh, a kind of... A waver into uh, a system of dis dysfunction or breakdown where the, uh, the bad bacteria or the bad elements that are destructive to the body can uh, have a better chance to replicate. What what seems to be the uh, turning point? I mean, what causes that? Do you know? Well, <clears throat> all these organisms, no matter what what it is, whether it's a flu virus or or you know, hepatitis. They, 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 we are all exposed in, in us and out outside of us. It's only when our terrain, you know, gets run down. Okay, mm. because a lot of these pathogens that some people think are bad, like candida, for example, mm -hmm. the candida has a vital role in the upper digestive tract. That 33 feet of small intestine. It is where candida should be and where it helps us process the sugar. 
Ah. The problem is when people eat too much sugar, pancakes in the morning, cheesecake at night, you know, <laughs> right. just just sugar all the time. Yeah. Then after that 33 feet, you know, the candida takes a ride on into the colon where it should not be. Ah. So in, in the colon, candida is deadly. Oh, really? But in the upper digestive tract, it has a vital role for us huh. to process all our sugars and break all that because us as primitive man we'd eat a few berries or whatever you know whatever sweets we get all that sugar gets processed before that 33 feet uh you know before the 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 the, the refuse gets to the colon you know ah. there's no sugar left so there's no candida left now if there's sugar left then candida can still uh, hitch a ride because it's feeding on the sugar, uh, but it's it's got hooks, so it'll hook into the colon. It cannot hook into the small intestine because the small intestine wall is too tough. It's just a different uh, membrane, but the colon is more of a softer membrane because it has many more functions, and um, so the the whole point about balancing the microbiome is making sure because there's good guys there's bad guys there's good bad and ugly okay we need them all mm. but the problem is it's like when a whole bunch of ms-13 move into your neighborhood all of a sudden the you know after a few months you know there's more crack and 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 everything on the street and crime mm. and the property values go down same thing with the colon when the more bad guys get out into the colon and that uh, mucosal layer is not protecting you anymore, then all of a sudden, then that's when disease starts because that mucosal layer is there to protect us all the way from the nose and the throat and the esophagus all the way down through the whole tract to the anus. That mucosal layer is our protection from the outside world. Uh. Now, uh, do probiotics help at all with uh, uh, populating the lower intestine? For most, uh, for many years, I make my own kefir and I make my own yogurt and everything, and that would help up to a point. But most of the uh, organisms that we have, we're, we're born with or from breast milk, and we got them from coming through the womb or whatever. <laughs> That's why some births that don't happen that way and it's a c-section they have more disease issues because they don't get that basis that basal uh, beneficial uh, bacteria and and other probot you know other uh, you know there's fungi too you know they're beneficial mm -hmm. but um you know uh some probiotics, and for many years I just quit taking them. But today I'm working with another laboratory, works directly with the microbiome uh, project, human microbiome project, and we have isolated the organisms that are actually effective. They're spore-biotics. There's about five different spores that they've isolated that they've proven in their studies with human trials that we get people over their leaky gut in 30 days uh eight out of ten and and 60 90 days 10 out of 10 wow that's terrific they, they, 
and they can start eating uh, gluten again, things they're once allergic to, like peanuts or corn. They can start eating that again. And uh, so that's proven. But the old days, uh, for many, many years, and most probiotics on the market won't do that. And it's really hard to find the right combination. Mm -hmm. And that's what I do. I balance the gut and I balance the cells. Uh, You know, I balance the gut with, with, with our three R's, what we call restore, replenish, and rebuilding. And I balance the cells with a hair tissue mineral analysis. And once I got that HTMA, the hair tissue mineral analysis, I know exactly what's going on in your body. I, I know exactly what your gut may be doing. And just from just a brief conversation, we can really target the right foods you need and get you balanced. And so, uh, you know, that's what it is. It's all about balance, just like Hippocrates said, homeostasis. Mm. Well, <clears throat> this has been a really uh, interesting and educational show tonight, and uh, I wish we could keep on going because I, I could probably uh, ask a few more questions that were popping up in my mind, but uh, we'll just have to have you back. And um, uh, we've got maybe a minute or two if there's anything that you'd like to share or remind people where your website is or you're in your radio show. Well, uh, johnnydelirious.com or go on BBS and find and tune in to The Delirious Cure. And Wonderful. you can look at my page or just johnnydelirious.com and you can click on the link for my page right there. Great. Well, thanks so much, Johnny, for being on tonight. And... Uh, I look forward to the next time we can have a chat. Well, I'd be happy, and I appreciate you having me on. It's been wonderful to be your guest, Lance. (laughs) Thank you very much. Well, I guess that's a wrap. And good night, Johnny, and good night, everybody at home and in the audience. Have a great weekend. Make it a great week, everybody. Bye-bye.